Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Central Wired podcast, and thanks for listening in. Make sure to stay connected with us throughout the week at centralwired.com or on Facebook and Instagram. We hope this week's message meets you right where you're at. Enjoy. In just a few moments, David is going to take us into the Word of God, uh, into the story of the man on the road to Emmaus. And so we thought, man, what a great opportunity to read that story for ourselves before we dive in with David uh, to see what the Word of God actually says. And so if you want to go ahead and join me, I'm reading from Luke 24, starting at verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together, they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, what is this dispute you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Calliopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened in these days? What things, he asked them. So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. And moreover, some of the women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women said, but they didn't see him. He said to them, How foolish and slow you are to believe all the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things to enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them things concerning himself and all the scriptures. They came near the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going farther. But they urged him, stay with us because it's almost evening, and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took bread, blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us as he was walking with us on the road, explaining the scriptures to us. That very hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the 11 and those with them gathered who said, the Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. They then began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of bread. Hey, how are you holding up? Man, I hope you're doing well. My Deb and I, we pray for you every time we pray. We thank God for you. I wanted to know, what is it that helps you keep your hopes up? I mean, when life is good, does it feel like your hope is bulletproof? But then uh, life can get to feel painfully impossible. Does your hope then bleed away to nothing? Does it ever feel like Jesus is playing a a game of hide-and-seek with you? You know he cares about you, but you really can't see him actively at work to your good. And and when you can't see him, when you can't see Jesus, it, it feels like you lose hope. You know that Jesus is mighty to save. 
yet uh, you have no sense of his presence, his power, his, his, his peace. And so it's like your Jesus has gone silent. Your Jesus has gone and invisible and, and you start to lose your hope. I, I know it's happened uh, to me recently. Many of you know that I've been through uh, a number of weeks of serious uh, physical struggle. And, and at first, I would see Jesus at work. Man, it would gladden my heart. My hopes would be up. I, 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 I mean, initially, been to you know, like three different doctors, and they said, go home, get some rest, take some medicine, you'll be all good. It kept getting worse. And on my way to the second uh, emergency room, in a different community, in a different hospital. I'm, I'm praying, God, let there be some doctor there who can immediately, accurately diagnose what's going on with me. Soon as I get there, a doctor walks up to me and says, I can, I can identify part of your problem right now. And he, and he does. And I, I'm like, I can see Jesus in this. Thank you, Jesus. And, and then a second doctor uh, identifies uh, an equally significant and terrible aspect of what I was going through. And I'm like, that's awesome. Thank, thank you, Jesus. I can see that you're at work in and, and my behalf. And, and then later that evening, I'd been checked for COVID-19, and my nurse comes moonwalking into my room to celebrate that I tested negative. And, and um, man, I just felt like, Jesus, I can see you at work in my behalf. A few mornings later, I'm informed that I need to have uh, immediate emergency surgery and I'm going to have to travel to Milwaukee to have it done. Well, it's a big hospital in Milwaukee. Great doctors there. And on the, uh, as they're transporting me in the ambulance, man, I'm getting my hopes up. I'm believing that as soon as I'm wheeled out of the ambulance, I'll be wheeled into surgery. And they'll get right to work on my problem. And I'll be recovering, back to good again. I can see Jesus at work to my behalf, in my behalf. It, it's just that my hope balloon got a leak in it and it just started shooting all over the place, hissing out my hope because I was not wheeled into surgery. I met with my surgeon. She said as they had studied the CAT scans, they had, they'd seen that this procedure was going to require a much more complicated and extensive surgical uh, process and three teams of doctors, and it was going to have to be put off till the next morning. And, and after that lengthy discussion, she walks out of my hospital room, flicks off the light, and I kind of bury my face in my pillow and cry out to the Lord, God, where are you in this? Well, I get through the night. Maybe you hear a little story like that. Maybe you've got stories of your own. And maybe you wonder as well, where is Jesus at work in any of that? If he's a, a good Jesus, why does he allow this bad stuff to happen? If he's a powerful Jesus, a Jesus that works miracles, why does he miss opportunities to do the miraculous, to work a wonder? Well, I want to take you into a Jesus story. And I introduce you to a couple of men with whom Jesus intentionally played hide and seek. He intentionally refused uh, to identify himself, to reveal himself, to show himself. Their hope was going to require their growth. 
their hope was going to require an increase in their faith. If they did nothing, their hope would bleed away to nothing. And so here's how the story goes. From the word of God, Luke 24, these two men are walking away from Jerusalem. Oh my gosh, they're going in the wrong direction. They had been in Jerusalem when Jesus was crucified on the cross. The cross is in Jerusalem. The blood shed on the cross has the power to forgive sins. The, the, the full and finished work of Jesus on the cross cleanses us of all guilt and shame. Uh, the, his stripes, his wounds uh, have the power to heal us. And yet these men are walking away from Jerusalem. Jesus, to tell you the truth, Jesus is in Jerusalem. They're going away from Jesus. They're drifting in the wrong direction. They had heard already that morning that women had visited the tomb and found it empty. The body of Jesus is missing. They knew that Peter and John had ran to the tomb and returned, um, not having found the body of Jesus, it's missing. The, they know that those women and those men are in hiding for fear of their lives. And so they decide to get the heck out of Dodge. They're going to walk to Emmaus, maybe that's their hometown, seven miles away. They're going to think about this, reflect on it, meditate on it. They need some time to think, to pray, but they're getting away. And as they walk, they, they talk. I don't mean like a casual conversation. I mean like they are deeply engaged, talking about everything that's happened, how they couldn't believe that Jesus would be arrested, how they couldn't believe that Judas had betrayed him, how they couldn't believe that he would be unjustly, unfairly tried by their own religious leaders, that they couldn't believe that the Romans would execute him and that this full of life, super abundant life, Jesus, his limp, lifeless body would be taken down from the cross like it was a, just no rag laid in a stone-sealed tomb. And they're, they're so engaged in conversation, they don't realize that they're unaware that Jesus has walked up right beside him. Now, the Bible says that God kept them from recognizing Jesus, which I've wondered about. I would think if I was Jesus, I might jump out from behind a bush and go, I'm back, gotcha. And those guys would be so scared, they'd turn around, run all the way back to Jerusalem and tell everybody they saw. But Jesus does what he does in our lives. Jesus refrains from doing what we might feel is necessary to be done. He does what he does and he doesn't do what he doesn't do based on what will most help us flourish in our relationship with him. So they are restrained. They are kept from recognizing him. And Jesus says to them, you know, why is you guys so engaged in conversation? What are you talking about? The Bible says they stop. Right there in their tracks. I, I, I'm, I'm guessing, I'm guessing they're crying. The, the, the scripture says they have their faces down, their hearts are, are down. What, what has you guys so sad? And they say, are you the only person on the planet who doesn't know what's happened the last three days? That Jesus of Nazareth, oh man, powerful in the word of God, powerful with miracles of God. He was a man of God. And yet our religious leaders handed him over to the Roman government who crucified him. 
And now he's dead. And though some women, well, you know women, and though some of our men couldn't find his body, um, to tell you the truth, we had hoped he was the one. We had hoped. And isn't that the way it goes? When you drift away from Jesus and your hope goes into past tense, your, your heart is downcast, your face is downcast, your thoughts are downcast. We had hope. And look at the problem. They saw Jesus as a man of God. Friends, Jesus is God. The miracles didn't come out of him because he was some sort of magic man or wonder worker. He was God in the flesh. And he was doing the power of God for everyone to witness and see. His messages, his teachings were the truth of God. He was speaking the word of God because Jesus is God. Now this is essential to you and your hope. This is essential to me and my capacity to weather difficulty and get through hard times and and keep my eyes on Jesus. We have to understand that Jesus is God, fully God, who came to earth through human birth, fully human, fully God, fully human, all at the same time, faced every kind of difficulty that we face, physical challenges, relationship challenges, emotional challenges, mental challenges, spiritual challenges. And at the same time, being fully God, though he wrestled, 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 he overcame every challenge fully human, fully God, making him the only qualified candidate to die on the cross for us, for our sins. And so Jesus says to these guys, man, I can't believe you're so foolish. Why were they fools? It's always foolish to drift in the wrong direction, away from hope and away from Jesus. He says, I, I can't believe you find it so hard to surrender to me, to surrender to the truth. Jesus says, okay, this is how we're gonna take care of your foolishness. Get your life, your thinking redirected. And it's what he says to us. David, this is how I'm gonna take care of your foolishness. Get your thinking redirected. This is how I'm gonna help you. Build your life on right belief. He says, you guys know the scriptures prophesied that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things and then be brought into his glory. I mean, that's the way glory comes into marriages. You go through hard times. That's the way glory comes to us emotionally. We get glorified emotions as we, as we persevere with hope through the hard times. So what Jesus does, he says, you may not recognize my face, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna take you into a mirror where you will catch an exact reflection of who I am. He takes him into the word of God. This is how we will address your foolishness and turn it into wisdom. He begins in the book of Genesis, first book of the Bible, and begins to point out to them place after place where the Bible talks about him. Goes into the book of Psalms like Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? They had just heard Jesus say those very words on the cross goes into the prophets, maybe Isaiah 53. By his wounds, we are healed. But he goes scripture after scripture, book after book, sharing with him the word of God. This is how we come to recognize Jesus. 
by being in God's word, not for information, but for transformation so that our lives are changed, so that, that, that the hope keeps building in our hearts. Things may appear terrible. We may be in painfully impossible situations, but we hold on to our hope anchored to the promises of God's word and the truth of Jesus. And so for seven miles, can you imagine, I'm going to guess, maybe two and a half hours of a pretty good walk for two and a half hours, Jesus just opens up the Bible to them. Scripture after scripture point out, this is, this is who the Messiah will be. This is how the Messiah will be treated. He will die for your sins. He will bleed for you. In his blood is power. In his blood is cleansing. Scripture after scripture, reference after reference to redirect their thinking. When the seven miles is over, they arrive at Emmaus and, and uh, they don't want Jesus to leave. Get this. He reveals himself to them through his word. This is where you always find Jesus, an accurate image of who he is for your life. But then they beg for more. I mean, literally beg him. They say, no, no, don't, don't go. It's getting dark. Come stay at our house. We'll feed you supper. Um, but, but the begging is huge. The begging is a hinge on which this whole story turns. Hope turns on our willingness to beg Jesus to be with us, to beg Jesus to be our hope. And, and so he says yes. Jesus always says yes to our pleading. Jesus always says yes to our, our, our passionate begging. And so they set the table and going to have supper. And um, before they can do anything, say anything, Jesus reaches to the middle of the table, takes bread, calls down the goodness of God on the bread. He blesses the bread. He, God blesses the bread and breaks it. And when he does, when they see that image of Jesus calling down God's goodness and celebrating the goodness of God and that God is always good and God is always actively at work to our good and breaking that bread, oh, oh my gosh, their minds fly to him at the communion table, blessing bread and breaking bread. This is my body broken for you. Anyone who eats my body, I will live in them. And in that moment, bam, they recognize him for who he is and he disappears because he's achieved the purpose. He's able to reveal himself to them now because it's based on the reality of God's word. And the Lord's Supper is always a revealing experience of Jesus for us to see him as our healer, for us to see him as our helper, for us to see him as our forgiver, for us to see the one who redeems us from the pit and crowns our lives with love and compassion. And, and, and so today we'll, we'll take communion together. I hope you're prepared and you're home with some bread or crackers and some juice. I, I hope that you're ready to reach down in your gut and pull up some passion and beg Jesus to join you in front of your TV or computer screen or device. Beg him to fill you with himself. Beg you to fill him with, fill you with his hope. Because he will reveal himself to you in communion every day. Please, 
every day open God's word and look for Jesus. Everything in the Bible means something and everything points to Jesus. And you know me and my Deb, and you know I've encouraged you. Don't hesitate, don't be afraid every day to do communion and let Jesus reveal himself. Let Jesus reveal all the reasons for your hope to be unshakable in him. <laughs> they don't even wait for dessert. These guys are up from the table, out the door, headed back to Jerusalem. They can't wait to be with the other followers of Jesus. And when they are, and when they tell their story, guess who shows up? Jesus does. And guess what he brings? Peace. Peace. My peace. I give you. That's what you find here. When you find Jesus, you find Peace. He's in control. You're Jesus. He's got this. He's going to take care of it. He's going to get you through. He's going to carry you. He's going to help you. He's going to heal you. He's going to be your hope. And so if you're ready with the Lord's Supper, take the bread and call down the goodness of God on your marriage, on your family, on your friendships, on your finances, on your soul, and drink the juice. Drink forgiveness of sins. Drink the blood of Christ. Be consumed with Jesus. And may he be your rich hope. I love you guys. I love you guys. And I love the way Jesus looks in you. Thanks so much for joining us. Just a reminder to stay connected with us throughout the week at centralwire.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for being with us and have a great week. 